Please uh, take your Bible. We're going to start off with our Bible study this evening. So uh, take your Bible and turn to the book of Judges. And we're going to pick up in chapter 10. Judges chapter 10 and in verse 6 is where we will uh, start tonight. Judges chapter 10 verse 6. Uh, we know the passage of Scripture, 1 John 1, 9. We've come across that before. Very well-known passage. Uh, it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it is in that context that we miss the boat on the idea of confession. I will tell you, I come across many people and I ask them about what it takes to get to heaven and they will say, oh, if you're just sorry for your sins, then everything is going to be great. If you confess your sins and apologize for them, then everything is going to be wonderful. All throughout Scripture, we find examples of people confessing their sins, but nothing changes. You see, confession in and of itself and by itself is not effective in your life. I want to share with you how to have proper confession, and we're going to see that in this text. I don't want you to use confession as some magic pill that gets God to do what you want him to do. And so let's look in our text at what he has for us. Beginning in verse 6 through the beginning of verse 9, I want you to notice that Israel faces God's discipline. Israel faces God's discipline. Then the Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They worshipped the Baals and the Ashtoreths, the gods of Aram, Sidon, and Moab, and the gods of the Ammonites and the Philistines. They abandoned the Lord and did not worship Him. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel, and He sold them to the Philistines and the Ammonites. And they shattered and crushed the Israelites that year. And for 18 years they did the same to all the Israelites who were on the other side of the Jordan in the land of the Amorites in Gilead. The Ammonites also crossed the Jordan to fight against Judah, Benjamin, and the house of Ephraim. Israel was greatly oppressed. I want to stop there, and I want to point out that they go back to what they had done before. All, all throughout the book of Judges, you have this cycle in the life of Israel. Uh, they would be walking with the Lord, and then they would get out of that walk, and they would begin to, to worship other gods. And, and we see that happening again. Israel did evil. Look in verse 6. Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now notice this evil, this cycle of sin and rebellion. It was evil in the Lord's sight. From his perspective and according to his standard of righteousness. Now, the things they did may not have been considered evil in the eyes of the world around them. In fact, they would have been celebrated for the, their lifestyle and what they were doing in the world around them. But we need to note that it does not matter how the world judges our behavior. All that matters is how God judges our behavior. And if we're on the right side of history, but on the wrong side of God, we are on the wrong side. 
And so here they are sinning against God. They were going with the flow of their culture. They were engaged in this pagan worship. They were engaged in this idolatry. And the whole world was going that way. And they were popular. And they were being celebrated. But they were breaking the heart of God. These gods they were worshiping. Baal and Ashtoreth. They were the, Baal was a storm god. Talked about him before, but he was the god of bringing rain. He, the rain is what brought the harvest. They would worship him by harvesting the crops and with gluttonous imbibing of all the crops, all the alcohol and uh, full of gluttony and debauchery and drunkenness. That's how they worship Baal. Ashtoreth was a goddess of fertility. And the way that they worshipped the goddess of fertility was fertility-related things, all right? That's what they would do. And so what they did is they deified their sinfulness. They took what was their sin and they made it a god. Does that sound kind of familiar to us in America today? And so all idolatry is deifying your sin and it's operating within the context of the world and the world says, bravo, good job. But from the sight of God, it's sin and debauchery. And so they had gotten into that. They began to worship. The word worship there means to work or to toil. It also came to mean to serve. So in the context of a master or a boss and a slave or an employee, uh, that work was to serve that master, to serve that boss. And in the context of a god or a deity, that serving the deity, it's worship. Uh, Worship is not simply singing songs. Worship is not what you do only on Sunday morning. You do know that, right? Uh, worship is the idea of serving, and it's the idea of working. We believe this in the Christian life as well. Oh, how do you know that? Well, listen to what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, another verse we know. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. When we are a living sacrifice, it refers to the fact that we are setting aside our own priorities and we are prioritizing the things of God, not with what we say, not with what we sing, but with what we do. Our worship, the thing that we value most is the activity that we engage in most and most passionately. Uh, if someone, and I know that we're getting to this time of year, and uh, it's cold outside now, and when it gets cold, I want to go to the woods. Can I get a witness? There ain't nothing wrong with wanting to go to the woods, is it? Wonderful. But if the woods become more important in your life than Jesus, 
Now you are serving the God of going out in the woods. Y'all don't be elbowing nobody out there, all right? We get it, okay? Uh, I could fill in the blank with whatever it is in your life, but whatever you do, whatever your lifestyle depicts is what you are truly worshiping, regardless of what your mouth says. And so here they were working, they were worshiping, but as they were working to serve these false gods, notice it says, in doing so, they abandoned the Lord. They were not worshiping him. They were not serving him. Uh, Remember what the Bible says, you cannot serve two masters. You'll either love the one and hate the other or hate the one and love the other. There's only one that you have. And so in order to serve these gods, they had to abandon the God. And in doing so, they were choosing the carnality of this world over the faithfulness of God. And they were breaking his covenant. And so here they are sinning against God. And notice what he does. Look in verse 7. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Literally, in the Hebrew, it, it says, and the Lord's nostrils flared against Israel. The word for anger means nostril. Did you know that? Why would that mean nostril? Have you ever watched the old Looney Tunes cartoons and they come across the bull in the field? And how do you know that the bull is upset? He's are snorting. His nostrils are flaring. Have you ever gotten in trouble with your mom? And she didn't have to say anything, but you knew you were in trouble. How did you know that? Her nostrils started flaring. Any of you ever gotten in trouble with your wife? And how did you, never mind, I'm not going to ask that. How did you know you were in trouble? Because I'm awake. That's how I knew I was in trouble. But the point being, it's very descriptive. God's nostrils were flaring. He was angry at the sin and the rebellion of his people. And as a result of that anger, it says he sold them to the Philistines and the Ammonites. Now, let's say that I I have something in my possession, and I'm going to sell that to you. When I sell that to you, you give me some type of goods And I give you the thing that I am selling. And once I sell that to you, is that thing under my authority any longer? It is now under your authority because you bought it. Uh, The Israelites were now under the authority of these pagan nations. And what did they do? I mean, when they were under the authority of God, what did God do for them? And he blessed them protected them, took care of them. Now he's removed his hand. He said, look, they're under your care now. And what did the pagan world do? The world, by the way, which they wanted to be a part of. And when they finally got what they wanted, what happened? Look what the Bible says. They shattered and crushed the Israelites that year. Isn't that what the world wants to do to us? Who is the ruler of this age, the ruler of this world. Who is it? Satan. And he aims to do what? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And our people are choosing this world every day. They're choosing this Satan, this 
uh, king of the world. Every day they're choosing him. And so finally God says, fine, you can have it. And when they got it, they were shattered. They were destroyed. They were wiped out. 18 years this was happening to the Israelites on the eastern side of the Jordan. And then after 18 years, they crossed over. And then they came into the heartland of Judah, Benjamin, and Ephraim. And as a result of that, as a result of this discipline, they cried out to the Lord, which is what they ought to have been doing all along. Now, before we get too sideways at these Israelites, we need to be very careful because we're not that far from them. The reality in our life, and if you look back at your life, even uh, uh, non-believers for sure, but even believers do this. We'll be hot for Jesus for a season, and then we will get distracted by something else. We, we will cease to have our quiet time. We'll cease to engage in the disciplines of following him, going to church and serving, etc. And before long, we find ourselves way back over here, and we're cold to Christ. And then guess what he does? He will allow discipline in our life. And it causes that pain will cause us to run right back to him. And we stay hot for a little bit. And then what do we do? And then we get disciplined again. And what happens? We come back to him again. And then we got. And so I believe that that is part of, number one, our human nature. It's part of the flesh that's in us. That that's the way that we do. But that's also used by God to grow us closer to him. Because I believe the way it works is you're close to him, you get away, crisis brings you back, you're close. And I call it the the spiral of discipleship because every time you come back, you've grown. You hurt some, it's painful, but you've grown. And my goal is the further you mature, the smaller that spiral is. And before long, uh, you will uh, watch a TV show you're not supposed to watch And the first time a bad word comes on there, you say, oh, my goodness, God, forgive me of that. And you come right back, right? Real quick. Whereas just a few months ago, you'd have watched the whole movie before you felt bad about it, right? That's because you've grown and you've developed and you've become more mature. Some of you are like, well, what's wrong with the... We're going to have a prayer time later. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and pray a prayer and walk. But, but, But the point being... Before we get too sideways with the Israelites engaging in this cycle of sin, crisis, and, and, and crying on the Lord, we need to take a good look in the mirror because does that not describe our life? We may not be worshiping bells and asterisks, but we might be worshiping the cowboys. Saints. Gosh, guys, I've been trying to watch the saints. It's hard, ain't it? It's hard. I know they've had games scheduled this year, but they hadn't played yet. I'm just saying, it, it's hard. I'm starting to feel your pain. Where did I, where, where am I? The, the point being, when this happens, what should we do to respond? And they call on him, which is great. That's what they're supposed to do. But I want to show you secondly, Not only Israel faces God's discipline, but Israel faces God's demands. His demands. Notice they they do right, I believe, in verse 10. It says they were greatly oppressed. And in verse 10, it says, 
So they cried out to the Lord. Isn't that what we ought to be doing? When we sense the discipline of God, that is the first thing we should do. They didn't put a committee together. They didn't go tell anybody about it. They cried out to the Lord. And they said, we have sinned against you. We have abandoned our God and worshipped the Baals. Uh, I've got four C's there. Do you have those in your notes? The, the first one that we see here is confession. We see confession. They've said, we've sinned. Do you think God didn't know that? The word confess means that you agree with something. It doesn't mean you're telling God something he doesn't already know. It means you're acknowledging what he already knows is true. When we confess our sin, we're just telling that we acknowledge that, that we recognize that, and we, and we are agreeing with him that we have sinned against him. Notice the words that they use. And I would encourage you, when you're confessing your sin, don't confess it in general. Sometimes we hear the deacon prayer, right? Deacons, I ain't attacking you. But, but sometimes we hear the deacon prayer, and at the end of the deacon prayer, we say, forgive me for all my sins. Amen, right? Forgive us all our sins. Some of you deacons are like, I pray that. That's a real spiritual part of my prayer right there. That's good. Man, you must have a lot of sins if we're forgiven for all of them like that. No, no, we don't see that as a biblical biblical confession. We name them specifically. Maybe that's why we pray it that way in front of everybody, because we don't want to name them specifically. But when we're genuinely confessing sin, we name them. And notice how they name them. They use the exact same words, exact same verbiage. They say, we've abandoned the Lord and we worshiped other gods. You see that? They, 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 they said it specifically. Now, verse 11, we're going to see a cross-examination here. And uh, the Lord said to the Israelites, When the Egyptians, Amorites, Ammonites, Philistines, Sidonians, Amalekites, and Maonites oppressed you, and you cried out to me, did I not deliver you from them? He gives seven examples of when he disciplined them. They were injured. They were hurt. They cried out to God. God delivered them. They had done this. Seven times they had done this. And he says, but now you have abandoned me and worshiped other gods. Seven times you've been disciplined. Seven times you come crying to me. Seven times you confess your sin. And seven times you went right back to the mud from which I cleaned you. Therefore, I will not deliver you again. Go and cry out to the gods you have chosen. Let them deliver you whenever you are oppressed. Now, the Lord's being a little cheeky here, isn't he? I don't know if cheeky's a bad thing or not. Y'all know what that means? A little tongue-in-cheek. He's poking fun at them. He's being sarcastic and he's being, he's being humorous. You didn't know God had a sense of humor, did you? He said, hey, you want them gods? Fine. Go let them save you. Go let them gods take you. You want that? Go let that be your salvation. He, he's kind of picking at them a little bit. And why, why is he doing that? Well, a couple things. One, confession without genuine repentance isn't really confession. You ever had somebody say, don't tell me you're sorry if you just plan on doing it again. Fellas, y'all ever had your wife tell you that before? I mean, let's be honest here. Right? Don't tell me you're sorry if you're just going to do it again. 
That's what God's saying to them. Don't, don't tell me you're sorry. Don't confess. You just plan on doing it again. Well, seven times you've burnt me on this deal. Seven times you've done this. Go let them save you. Well, what was he really doing? Was he saying, I'm never going to see you? What he was doing is he was testing them. He was testing to see if they would be genuine in their confession and their repentance. Notice how they responded. We see here their contrition. Look at it, what it says here. But the Israelites said, we have sinned. Deal with us as you see fit. Only rescue us today. So they got rid of the foreign gods among them and worshiped the Lord. That's a little different, isn't it? He said, I'm not going to heal you. And you thought, well, maybe they're just going to go away. But uh, they clung to him and they confessed their sin. And they were willing to submit themselves to the justice of God. Do whatever you want to do. We are, we are not confessing this on our conditions. We are laying our lives before you at your disposal. We are surrendering ourselves to you. And then I believe they backed up what they said by getting rid of the gods and by beginning to serve and worship the Lord. What you see here is confession coupled with genuine repentance, changing and turning. Then we see the conclusion. Look at what it says. And he, the Lord, became weary of Israel's misery. He became weary of Israel's misery. Now, what in the world is that talking about? Well, uh, the word to become weary, it means that his heart was shortened. That he was shortened. There are a few times where this takes place in the book of Numbers. It, it says the Israelites were traveling around and they became impatient. They became shortened in the wilderness and they began to complain against God. They were wore out and they were tired of waiting on him. I think one of the best examples that you have of this word, someone becoming shortened, was with Samson and Delilah. Remember that story? She said, tell me the secret of your hair. And he gave her some story. And she tried to have his, you know, not the secret of your hair, the secret of your strength. Told him a story. Three or four times, and she kept nagging him and nagging him and nagging him and nagging him. And the Bible says, and Samson became shortened. He'd had enough. Finally, he was out of patience. He couldn't deal with it anymore, and he just gave up. Here the Lord became shortened. He was impatient. He had had enough. And what did he have enough of? It says, of their misery. Of their misery. Now, what misery was this? There's some that say that the misery, uh, the word misery means toil or work. It's the, the difficulty of doing hard work is the misery. And there are times where hard work is miserable. Amen. And that's some, it's used in the book of Ecclesiastes that way over and over and over again. However, it's used in other places to refer to someone who is receiving a situation in their life that is so terrible that it can be described as misery. I believe that's what's happening here. So here is God. He has his discipline against the people. The discipline is very difficult on them. They have prayed a prayer of confession. He said, nope, I ain't doing it. They came back. They repented. But guess what? The pain was still there. And eventually, in God's timing... He said, all right, that's enough. And we're going to see now the story of the next judge that comes to deliver them. But I will tell you this. The heart of God 
was not moved by their confession. The heart of God was moved by their repentance. Confession without repentance does nothing to the heart of God. But confession with repentance will move the heart of God. Listen to how David puts it, and you can turn in your Bible to the book of Psalms. In Psalm 51. I'll go ahead and turn there. I'm finna read the whole thing. And I want you to follow along. You got your Bibles, don't you? Psalm 51. Or your Bible app. Ronnie, some people are just hip with the times. You know it? You seem like that kind of guy. You just hip with the times. Psalm 51. Y'all there? Be gracious to me, God. According to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. God, create a clean heart in me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways, and sinners will return to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God, God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. What does your Bible say in 17? A contrite heart. In your good pleasure, call Zion to prosper, build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. I think too many times we are convicted of our sin. And we give lip service to confession. But our confession only goes lip deep. And we'll confess it and we'll acknowledge it. But if our confession is not coupled with contrition and with repentance, then our confession is just lip service to God. And it doesn't change the heart of God and it doesn't change our relationship or our fellowship with God. And it Confession cannot be used as a magic pill to get everything wiped away. It is only proper confession, which is confession coupled with repentance. And I think so many times we're in this spiral and we feel like I need to confess my sins to him and we confess it. And we wonder why in the world has nothing changed. 
And it's because our confession is only lip deep. And it needs to be contrition and repentance in our heart. You bow your heads and hearts with me for a moment. I know you folks in this room, y'all love Jesus. But I also know that you live in the flesh and that we all have sin in our life. And we must consistently have a discipline of confessing our sins to him. And it may be in your Christian walk that while you may have confessed with your mouth the sin of your life, he is looking at your heart. And so spend a moment walking through your life and confessing, not with your lips, but confess with repentance and contrition of heart. I'll give you a few moments to do that. Spend some time with him right now. Our Father in heaven, we agree with you that we're sinners. And despite the fact that uh, you have forgiven our sins and relationally we have been grafted in and adopted into your family, we are forgiven. Lord, we recognize that we live in the flesh and and we still engage in sin. And Lord, I pray that you would be quick to discipline. That you would be quick to break our hearts. That we might return to you. And I pray that when we return, that it is confession that is not lip service like some of these folks of the Bible. But I pray, Lord, that it would be heart service as we repent and turn to you in our brokenness. Lord, I pray that you would give us peace in the midst of that repentance, that you would give us healing in the midst of that repentance. And I pray that you would extend your grace to us even now as we humbly bring our sins to you. Father, I pray that you'd be active in our midst that you would make us more and more like you. We give you all glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.